listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Have you ever gotten somewhere and you ask yourself, how in the world did I get here? Have you ever been driving down the road and you arrive at your destination and your thought is, how long have I been driving? How many lane changes did I make in order to arrive? Anybody there? I've been there, maybe especially late at night or really early in the morning, your brain's not fully functioning. Or maybe you've been at a party or you've been somewhere with a group of people or maybe at home, you're just like, why am I here? Have you ever looked around and you're just like, what in the world am I doing? Maybe for some of you, you're asking yourself that question even this morning. And if you're not, I would like to ask the question for you. Because maybe if you were to ask the question, why am I here this morning? For some of you, you would say, well, because I have to. My parents made me, my wife made me, my girlfriend made me, my boyfriend made me, whatever it is, somebody made me. Maybe it just seemed like a good idea. Maybe not being here, you're like, man, I would feel really bad, and so I'm trying to fight against negative feelings. But can I encourage you with this this morning? Hopefully, the reason that you are here this morning is to experience the presence of God with the people of God together through his word. That's called the power of God. And we know that God meets with his people in supernatural ways when we gather to sing songs to him and to look at his word. So the question is on the screen. Why am I here this morning? And for a moment, it's just like, oh, that's a really simple question. And that's okay. I want us to wrestle with that because maybe you're here just because you feel bad or maybe you're here so that you can feel better. Whatever that reason is, if it's not to step into the presence of God for just a moment and for your life to be changed, I want to give us a moment to repent of those other things. I want to give us a moment and we're just like, yeah, we just had a time of confession. I get that. Before we look at the word of God, Like Chris just prayed, may we not just be hearers only, but may we be doers as well. And so may we confess those areas where we are not acting on what we know to be true. Maybe we're here and we're not fully engaged. Something else is distracting us. So let's take a moment and let's confess those things to God so that we can focus on his word, on his presence, on his power with his people. Let's just do that now.
Amen. May our hearts be pure. May our ears and our eyes be open to what God would have us to hear this morning. Here's a, here's a phrase that comes from Psalm chapter 119 and verse number 18. And I'm going to say the line, each one of these lines, and I want you to respond with this after me. And this is just a small declaration. May this be true this morning. Open my eyes. We'll do it again. So I'm going to say it, and then you're going to repeat it after me. You're like, that sounds too simple. I understand. But now we all understand. Open my eyes. That I, may receive that I may receive God's wonderful word to me. God's wonderful word to me. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 10 for just a moment. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. And, and this is sort of a precursor as we look at 56 verses. I don't know how we're going to cover that in the next 35 minutes, but we're hoping the Spirit superintends our time, and maybe it'll kind of be like a sun stands still. Maybe you can listen super fast. I don't know. We're asking for miracles. <laughs> Not the gold dust kind, but just some real practical ones, so we'll see what happens. You're like, well, why don't you start in Luke chapter, chapter 8? I know I should, but I'm starting in Romans chapter 10, just adding on to the possibility of necessary miracles. So Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17, it says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing through the word of Christ. Here's what I want us to see, big picture this morning, as we're asking God to open our eyes and to minister to our hearts and to our spirits, that hearing produces faith. We hear not just for the sake of hearing, we hear to produce faith. That faith coincides with obedience, and that faith produces fruit. So this morning, as we listen to God's word, big picture, the point that Jesus is making in Luke chapter 8 is that as you hear, may we be growing in faith, in obedience, so that fruit can be formed. So Luke chapter 8, so we'll jump in there. So Luke chapter 8, he begins in the first three verses, and he talks about soon afterward the crowd, uh, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And we talked about a few weeks ago how there were 12 with him. But here he mentions, he says, hey, there were a few ladies who were with him also, most notably probably Mary Magdalene. And you've probably heard about Mary, but it says that she was afflicted with demons and that Jesus had cleansed her and now, that he's now she is following him. I just want us to see, I'm not going to camp out on these first three verses because Luke doesn't really give us a whole lot of uh, necessary reason for us to extrapolate these verses, except to say this. Jesus reaches into Satan's landfill, and he redeems people for himself. He brings them into his family. That's it. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, those who have a lot and those who have nothing, those who are beautiful and those who are ugly. We can look at the disciples. We can look here at these ladies. Mary Magdalene was afflicted by demons, and yet the other ladies, and Luke says, and there were other ones who were really rich, and that's how they supported Jesus' ministry. So Jesus comes and he says, I want to redeem you out of Satan's kingdom into mine. Big picture, that's what he's saying. My dad has been saying this for years. He says, Jesus has done more for women's rights than anybody else in the history of the world. And so lest you think for a second, you're like, oh man, here's what it means. We just need strong men and that's it. And women just need to stay home. Look, listen, I'm all for women submitting to a man who is loving them. Absolutely. But Jesus has done more for women's rights than anybody else. And Luke makes that point here. Again, that's not the point of Luke chapter 8, but here's, he gets in. Look at verse number 8 with me of Luke chapter 8. This is right in the middle. So if you, if you have the 
headings there on your, on your chapters, right in the middle. It says the parable of the sower, and then it says the purpose of the parables. Well, this transition verse helps us to see, okay, here's what he's talking about. Here's why he's saying this. Verse number eight. Now, this will sound familiar to Romans chapter 10. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the point of the beginning of this passage. And as we're going to see all throughout, we're looking at the word of God, the word of Christ, Jesus' word. As we go through all these parables, it's like, man, what ties all of these stories and all these parables together? It's the word of Jesus. He speaks, boom, things happen. He speaks, boom, people are healed. Storms stop. What is our response to the word of Jesus? Because he says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. There are a few constants here in, the, in this parable. And we, if you've been around church very long, you probably know this parable, this, the parable of the four soils. The, the, the one thing that changes is the soil itself. And that's the heart of the listener. But the constant is both the sower and the seed. But the soil, you can listen or you cannot. Some of y'all are married and you understand this. It's a condition called selective hearing. Some of y'all could easily be diagnosed with this. I think it's a, maybe it's a real thing. I don't know. But you're sitting there probably on your phone scrolling and your wife is talking about something. And I'm addressing the men because we probably struggle with this more. I think it's in our DNA somewhere. So you can't blame us, right? But, but your wife is talking and then at some point she says, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Now the thing that awakens us from this psychological slumber is when she says, is it okay if I buy that? And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on one second. Uh, can you just repeat what you, were you even listening to me? That's the point that Jesus is making here, right? Were you even listening to me? So let's go through and let's look at this parable together. So we, we've just, I'm not going to read this entire passage, but he, there are four different types of soils. He begins in the first eight verses by talking about these, but then in the next several verses, he talks about what this parable means. And so we're going to look at that. So the first soil that he talks about here in verse number five, he mentions it again in verse number 12. He says the first soil is the path. So some of the seed fell along the path, and it was trampled by feet. In other words, this was, this was hardened soil for us on the way here this morning. My, one of my kids said, what are you preaching about this morning, Dad? What's the story that you're going to be telling? And so I talked about these four soils, and we were driving on asphalt at the time. And I said, this first one is similar to asphalt for us, super hard. I said, can anything grow on asphalt, boys? And they said, well, no. That'd be really dip. One of them said a cactus. And I said, no, it still needs somewhere to, to plant down roots. And so this first one is, is incredibly hard. And if you look down in the middle of that chapter, it says that the birds came, and these birds represent the devil. So the evil one comes, and he says, this seed that was here, this constant, this word of God was, was sown across this asphalt against this really hard soil. And our number one enemy came and snatched it up. The birds snatched it up. The second one that we see here, in verse 6, and we see it again down in verse number 13, it's the rocky soil. Now, we see with the rocky soil that for a minute, this plant comes up. It seems to be joyful at first, like, oh, yeah, yeah, here's the truth. Let me respond to God's word with faith. But we know here that nothing lasts. And so for a moment, it seems like this person is responding with faith, but this is not a saving faith. This is superficial spiritual life. And what does Luke say? What happens to it? Verse number 12, they fell along, sorry, verse 13, and the ones on the rock were those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. 
They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. So when the trials of life hit, when the scorching heat hits, when the difficulties of life come your way, that's when your faith is tested. That's when your faith is tested. Up until that point, it's like easy. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just do this. And for most of us who are Americans here in this room and who are Christians here in this room, we would say, yeah, most of life is really easy. The times of testing are these, when, when life becomes difficult. Not when life is easy. When life is easy, we don't even consider it. And I would challenge you with this. If your roots do not run deep in the middle of testing, you will not persevere. So may we be a people who persevere. The third one here, he says it in verse number seven, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse number, number 14, we see it here. He talks about it. And as for those, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In other words, these thorns rob these little seedlings of water, of nutrients, of light. I'm reminded of kudzu. For us, it's mostly, you know, it's common knowledge. We see kudzu almost everywhere in the southeast. But kudzu was brought to America in the 19th century, and it was meant as a plant. Uh, some people would say it's meant to stop erosion. Some people would say it was an ornamental plant to provide shade for porches. Either way, we didn't realize at the time that kudzu grew at about a foot a day. That's a lot. It grows a ton. Now, power companies in the southeast only spend upwards of $2 million a year to kill kudzu because all it does is grow and grow and grow and grow and destroy. Nobody says, hey, let me go over to the gardening center and get a kudzu plant because that sounds beautiful. Nobody needs that ornamental shade for their lawn, it, but that gradual growth ends up destroying. And he says here in verse number 14, he says, the cares of life. There are so many things that the world, that the culture puts in front of us. Here, fill your minds with this. Here, scroll through this. Take a look at this. Spend your money on this. What the world is never going to tell you to get into is the word of God. The only thing that brings life. There are so many things that we're into. And those things are choking us out. But then the fourth soil that Luke has here is the good soil. Those who hear, verse number 8, and some fell into good soil and they grew. Look at verse number 15. And as for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So they hear, they retain, they persevere, they obey. They bear fruit. Now, he says here with patience. It's not this immediate, boom, look at this fantastic growth that I have. With patience, it takes time. I'm reminded of the fruit of the Spirit. Does it, does it happen overnight? No, it takes time. And what's one of those fruit of the Spirit? Patience. It takes time. But notice, we keep going out. We could take this by itself and say, well, let's look at these first 16 verses. But we have to look at this in context because Jesus doesn't stop speaking there. He continues in verse number 16, and I think this is going to help us put a, a, a Latin phrase of what's called an inclusio. Here, we're going to bookend this, okay? So in verse number 16, he continues, and this is going to help explain this, this parable. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, two, two things you don't do. You don't cover up the light. You don't put it under a bed. If you put it under a bed, what's it going to do? 
It's going to burn the house down. Okay? So he's saying you don't cover it so it gets no light, and you don't light things on fire in your home where it gets a ridiculous amount of light. He's saying don't be crazy. <laughs> so here's, here's the point. Verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So the word is like that light. He's saying the word is the light of God. Maybe some of y'all, uh, this is an old, you know, southern phrase, but it'll all come out in the wash. You ever heard that? We were, we were riding home this past week, and now we get to my parents' house, who we're staying with for the time, and my oldest has these red spots all over his pants. And I'm like, are you bleeding uh, I don't know how those got there. Okay, were they there all day? No, they just appeared. Interesting. You're playing with a red magic marker, and now you have these giant red circles on your pants. This cannot be a coincidence. But my thought is, okay, well, let's, let's give it a chance. Hopefully it all comes out in the wash. In other words, we're going to put it in there, and we're going to get rid of all the stains, all of the ink, all of the, the juice, or the blood, whatever else is in your It's all going to come out in the wash. It's the same thing that he's saying here. When you are brought into the light, the light is going to reveal your true self. The light is going to reveal what kind of soil you really are. But keep going. Verse number 18. And this is where we, we book into this parable. Take care then how you hear. Again, he's mentioning the light because he's still talking about this hearing parable. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. Notice he doesn't say, be careful how you speak. There's no, I don't think, that there's a communication degree in listening. You never never have somebody in college or who's working on a master's degree, hey, what degree are you pursuing? Communication, what kind of communication? Listening, the listening kind. It doesn't exist. If it does, ex- if it does exist, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll stand corrected. But mostly when we think about communication, we're talking about speaking. But what does Jesus say here? He says, listen. You've been around those people who you're in a conversation kind of, and they can't wait to, to like say the next thing. And you're like, yeah, I was over here doing something. And they're just like, they're like, they're just antsy. Like, they can't wait to talk. They, they just literally cannot listen to what you're saying. You know who the people I'm talking about? If you don't know, it might be you. And so, but you're just like, I, I'm not really listening. I just can't wait to say something else. I just love talking. That's how we often think about communication. Here he says, be careful how you listen. And I would encourage us, we, we gather on Sundays to listen to the word. But be listening, be hearing the word in your home. Be listening, be hearing, be reading the word with your family. That's why we have life groups. We don't just add on things for the sake of doing more stuff. No, we want to gather together so that we can hear the word of God. Be careful how you listen. So we have this weird idea that Luke talks about in verse number 10. We just saw it in verse number 18. He talks about those who think they hear but they haven't really heard. Those who think they have, but they don't have anything. He says in verse number 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now notice Jesus is speaking just to the disciples here. The irony of this is the disciples are like, oh, we, we know what you're talking about? <laughs> and they're like, uh, I don't know if you're telling. Eventually the disciples are gonna figure it out though. They're a little slow. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that he quotes here from Isaiah chapter six, seeing they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Notice in verse 18, 
Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. The purpose of this, this is why we gather on Sundays, because it takes time. This Christian life, it doesn't happen immediately. We have to hear over and over. There are some in this room who their hearts are good soil. There are some in this room who you're becoming more and more like Christ. There are some you think you are, but if you look at your life, what type of soil is your heart really? Is it, oh, I made a decision? Are you living on yesterday's quiet time? Are you living on last week's Bible study? Are you living on an experience that you had last year with the Word of God? Are you basing your relationship with God on a decision that you made 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Is your heart dry? Is there any fruit there? Are you spending time with God's word? Is it transforming you? And I would encourage you, friends, to grow in an appetite for God's word. We're having Moe's today for lunch. On the way here, my boy said, why did we eat Moe's on Friday night if we're eating it today for lunch? I said, are you sad about eating Moe's? They said, no, we love Moe's. I said, so what's the problem? And they said, well, Father, we apologize. We were just trying to find something to complain about. <laughs> That's the kind of kids I raise, okay? Next series is going to be on parenting. But, but I, said, I said, look, man, when you have an appetite for something, you have it. I said, Axel, what are you looking forward to eating today for lunch? He said, mmm. I said, I'm going to put on my plate. I'm going to put rice and black beans and sour cream and a little bit of steak. I said, wow, that sounds just like what you had on Friday night. He said, oh, that's a good point. That's actually how the conversation went. But as we have this appetite for something, and then we get it, we don't just say, mmm, I never want to eat Moe's again. We want to eat it again. And that hunger, when it's filled, gives us more appetite. And as that appetite is filled, we're like, mmm, I'm hungry for that again. The same is true with the Word of God. And maybe your soul is experiencing dryness. And I would say, this is what is going to bring life. This is the water of life. And as we see that growth, what do we want to do? Oh, you know what? I got a little bit of growth. All right, check you next year. No, we want to go and water that thing. And so maybe spiritually you feel like you're just in a dry desert place. And can I encourage you this morning to water your soul with the word of God? And for some, I don't know how to get out of this. Man, go to the word of God. May your heart be like that good soil. Develop this appetite Listen carefully to the word of God. Don't listen critically. Listen for you. That was a good place to say amen. amen. For somebody else to say amen. Listen for you, not for someone else. Listen not just to obtain information, but to obey the word of God. Don't listen for your preference, but listen for the power of God. So listen carefully. That's the point of this parable. So then we keep going. In verse number 22, he talks about, sorry, in verse number 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him. They could not reach him because of the crowd, and he said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So what's the point of the word of God? As we hear, we grow in faith, and we grow in obedience, we produce fruit. But here he says, verse 21, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. Amen. No, my brothers are those, my brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
and do it. Then we get to verse 22. He gets into a boat with his disciples, and right there in the middle of that verse, we see he goes to the other side of the lake, and this is actually the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has a few different names. Maybe there in your Bible, it's uh, the Sea of the Gezerines or, or the Gezeret or something else, Gennesaret. Uh, but it's because this sea is so huge. It's, uh, it used to be because it's actually shrinking because it's a freshwater lake, uh, and it's been there for thousands of years. But it used to be, in Jesus' time, 14 miles across. That's a big old lake. And it's 21 miles long. So it's huge. So this lake that sits below sea level, when the wind would whip through there, the winds were incredibly strong and the waves would be huge. So it felt like you were on an ocean. But notice here what happens in these verses. We have these professional fishermen, Jesus and his disciples. That's who he calls. And these guys are freaking out. So these guys were used to being out there in really turbulent weather. And these guys were scared almost literally to death. Notice verse 24. So they're scared, verse 24. And they went, and Jesus is back there just kicking it, taking a nap. Master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the, the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He just got through, Luke just got through telling us about hearing the word of God and obeying. Here he says, the wind and the waves, these inanimate objects are putting you to shame. He's saying, you humans, you disciples, look at how these things that don't even have brains are putting you to shame. You're created in my image. You have, you have this choice of obeying or not, and you often choose not to. He says, the wind and the waves, they obey my voice. Boom, just like that. Notice the disciples' response, verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? I think he's addressing both their disobedience, their constant, regular disobedience, but he's also addressing in the moment because these guys have seen Jesus heal. They've seen his power at work in a very physical, tangible way, saying, I'm Jesus. Where is your faith? Notice what they said. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? They weren't scared at this point because of the wind and the waves anymore, they were afraid. They were fearful because of what Jesus did. They asked this question, who then is this? We're going to keep going to this next story. In verse 26, we, we pick up. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus steps out, we see, maybe this story is familiar to, to you as well. We see this man who is overcome with demonic activity. And we see this guy, he's running around, he looks crazy, and he's running through. He's like, God, I'm, I'm nuts, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with demons, Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, I'm your enemy. Notice what he says. He says here in, in verse number 28, when Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The disciples asked in verse number 25, who then is this? This demon-possessed man, he answers the question. Again, I don't think Luke puts this in here coincidentally. This demon-possessed man says, I know that you're Jesus, son of the most high God. Now, this word when it says he, he, came, he comes and he bows down and worships him, it, it means, or it says that he bowed down to him. He fell down before him and said with a loud voice. That literally means he falls down prostrate on the ground and says, I'm worshiping you. 
The terror of these demons is the hope of the church. These demons had really good theology. They recognized Jesus. They understood his power because they said, please do not torment us. In other words, they're saying, have mercy, have grace on us. What does Jesus do? He's like, no way. I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to destroy you. No. I asked my kids this morning, I said, if you were Jesus and this demon-possessed man ran at you, how, would you, how do you think he responded? They were like, oh, he probably killed him. I said, no, he doesn't. He will later when we get to Revelation. But here he doesn't. So notice his response. Jesus said and asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion. He begged them to command them, uh, to com- to, he begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. We see here that the demons recognize Jesus. They recognize his power, but they didn't love him. It's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not just enough to, to hear his words, to know about him. We must love him. But here we see Jesus even expressing that love. He showed them a little bit of grace. He does not send them to the abyss, at least not yet. He sends them into these pigs. Notice what the pigs do. They run off the edge of this cliff. This would be like a guy who goes into a dealership, and I had a cousin who kind of did this, a second cousin. Uh, But it'd be like a guy going into a car dealership and taking 10 of those cars and just wrecking them, pulling them out of the driveway and boom, crashing them. You're like, hey, tell me about that cousin you had. Well, he went on this uh, spree where he decided to steal a bunch of cars. And this was about 25 years ago. He decided, I'm just going to steal a bunch of cars. And he was so good that the dealerships didn't even know about it. It, Same kind of thing. So this guy is demon-possessed. I'm not saying that my cousin was. uh, His life has been transformed, which is amazing, which is awesome. But just imagine, nobody's going to be real happy with that guy. It's not like, oh, you know what? We forgive you for killing all of our ways of making money. No, they're like, so what do they do? The crowd responds, the city responds, it says, Jesus, we're scared to death of you. Would you please leave, leave our town? And Jesus is like, man, I just showed my power. You just heard this sermon, and you want me to leave? You don't want to believe in me? They're like, no, 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 we want you to leave because we're afraid of you. We don't understand you. We don't have ears to hear. Our hearts are not good soil. And here we see Jesus at the very end of this passage. He tells this guy who was demon-possessed, he says, go and tell everybody about what I have done. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that we see Jesus enacting his power, transforming and healing someone, and then he says, go and tell people about it. Every other time up until this point, and even after this, we're going to see in just a minute, he says, hey, keep this quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. But for some reason, Jesus says, you know what? I think you're going to make a great evangelist. I think you're going to be a really good preacher. He's like, well, I haven't really been to seminary. Jesus is like, I know, but you were demon-possessed. So go and tell people about that. We see the life transformation here. Then we pick up in verse number 40. We see two stories here. This past week, my wife's grandmother passed away, and we were at the funeral home, I think, on Wednesday night. The Braves had just clinched the night before. They had won the World Series the night before. They couldn't win it when I was at the game last Sunday night, so they decided to win on Tuesday night, which is all cool. I'm not mad about it. Uh, and so uh, my wife's brother, Blake, he's a huge Braves fan. And so uh, he, had, uh, you know, he was super excited. He went to the, to the parade. Uh, when was that? Yesterday, day before. He goes to the parade. I guess that was day before. Just a huge Braves fan. And it has been his whole life. He played baseball. He realized he couldn't make the majors when he was about 17 years old. And so that's just the kind of 
lifestyle they, that he grew up in. Well, Shannon's kind of torn up because her grandmother just passed away. Super godly woman. She posted on social media if you want to go read about it. Uh, godly woman. And so they come through the viewing room where they're at the, at, at the funeral home. And Shannon goes to her brother and she says, she says, Blake. She said, um, and, and me and him are sitting there talking about the Braves. Well, Shannon walks up not knowing that. And she says, she said, Blake, did, did, you, did you cry? And Blake said, Blake said, yeah, I did. And Shannon's like, wow, that is really incredible since you're not a highly emotional person. And Blake said, I've just been waiting so long for this. <laughs> and Shannon said, I mean, she's been sick for a few months, but what do you mean? And Blake's like, no, I've been waiting for this since 1995. <laughs> and Shannon's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're talking about the Braves. When I, when I was watching the Braves, she's like, no, I'm talking about my grandmother who just passed away, whose body is lying in this room right beside us. And Blake's like, oh, I thought you were talking about the Braves winning the World Series. So we see these two stories that get intertwined and really confused. And one person is like, I don't understand. I'm incredibly upset. That's what we get to when we get to verse number 40 here, okay? That's the closest that I can make as far as comparison. So we have here, we have uh, Jesus returned. The crowd welcomed him. <laughs> For they were all waiting for him. And there was a man there named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was formal. He wore nice suits. He wore really nice, you know, Italian leather shoes. He was respected. And at the same time, we see him right here. He's about to go all John Wick to save his daughter because his daughter's on her deathbed. Then we encounter this other lady. So we have, again, these two stories that are inter intertwining. And we have this lady who had been sick for 12 years. Now, notice the connection here that Luke is making. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. She's on the brink of of death. She's experienced 12 years of life and now she's here. We have this woman who has been experiencing this ailment, this, this uh, gynecological malady for about 12 years and she's been experiencing death because someone in that situation, they could not interact with community. They were an outcast. They were unclean and anything and anybody they touched were unclean. So she hadn't received a hug from anybody. She hadn't even received like a knuckle fist bump from anybody. She had not been in community, incredibly sad existence. But she comes to Jesus. Luke doesn't tell us why. She thought that she could touch just the hem of his garment. But she probably had to disguise herself because she's in the middle of this crowd and she goes up and she touches Jesus' garment. Immediately what happens to her? She is healed. What does Jesus do? He says, power just went out of me. What does Peter say? Jesus. <laughs> you know, I think often that, that Jesus had to do ministry not uh, because of the disciples, but in spite of the disciples. Because Peter says like a super obvious thing. He says, he says Jesus, the crowds are pressing into you. And Jesus is like, thanks, Peter. I wasn't sure. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say that. It's in the Greek somewhere. And so, so Jesus like, power went out of me. But notice Jesus' heart for this woman. His goal was not to do as many miracles as he could and say, man, look at what I just did. Mic drop. I just cast out some demons. I just healed a lady. No, he stops and says, my number one priority is not just doing cool things. It's not doing tricks. He says, I want to have compassion on this woman. Because my purpose is not in doing stuff. My purpose is in people. It's in transforming lives. So the woman, notice her response, is fear. Again, the word of God speaks to her, though. He says, daughter, not because I'm so powerful, not because I knew this was going to happen, but because of your faith, you are, you are made well. You are healed. It's because of that faith. Now, we can't take that in a vacuum and say, hey, do you have enough faith? But we can say, in light of the word of God, how does our faith look, especially compared to this lady? He says, he says, daughter. Look at verse number 48 with me. Daughter. This is the only time, by the way, in the New Testament 
or in the Gospels, that Jesus calls someone daughter. In this an incredibly personal, intimate phrase, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, we know because of the sickness of this woman that blood flowed from this woman, but the power to heal flows from Jesus. This woman, anything that she touched would be made unclean. But even as she touched Jesus, he makes her clean. He transforms her. He heals her immediately. So let's not lose sight of the power of Jesus even here. Now, Jairus at this point is probably upset. He's like, yo, 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 we were on the way to see my daughter who is on her deathbed. Notice what happens. So he's probably, he's probably really upset. I think sometimes we forget about the emotions of these, of these folks. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, verse 49, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Can I just tell you that do not trouble the teacher anymore is never a right response to have to people? Verse 50, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. The matter in our minds is beyond hope. And notice what Jesus does. He says, don't be afraid. We've dealt with the word of God so far in this passage. We've seen the fear of man. And here he says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm Jesus. Verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. I was talking to my kids again this morning about this on the way here. The point is not that Jesus is like, no, 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 y'all mistook it. She, she's actually alive. She's just sleeping. You don't understand. The point is this. If I want to go wake up one of my sleeping children or my wife who's asleep, it's not going to take a whole lot of effort. I can go in there and shake them for a second. Hey, wake up, buddy. Wake up, pal. Wake up, babe. And they're usually going to wake up. That's the same effort that it takes Jesus to raise someone from the dead. With just a word, with a nudge, he says, no, no, she's not sleeping. I'm way more powerful than you think I am. You don't give me nearly enough credit. Verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. Again, does he, does he uh, you know, get his staff out like Moses? Does he have to do some sort of, no, he just says, let me speak. Boom, child arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something uh, be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one. So when matters were beyond hope, when this girl was dead, Jesus reaches across the chasm of death it says, come back into life because he has the keys to Hades. He has the keys to death and to the grave. That's the Jesus that we serve. Amen? So when we look at this passage, I want us to walk away with five truths this morning. The first one is this, that your response to the word of God determines your biography. Your response to the word of God determines your biography. And we saw that in the first 21 verses. He says, be careful how you hear. That's going to determine how you live, how you act, how you obey. And in the same way that we saw throughout the rest of the passage, we saw the word of God informs, that it brings power. The word of God here, the physical word of God is in the same way. It convicts us of sin. It brings life in the midst of death. 
It brings water to the dry and to a weary soul. We're in this continuum that we call redemptive history. God created the world perfectly. Sin has messed it up. Jesus came as our redeemer, and one day he's going to restore all things. But right there in the middle of redemption, Jesus Christ coming the first time, Jesus Christ is going to come again. And, and we're not on this, in this cul-de-sac of redemption, you know, looking forward to something else. And we're not just sitting here just turning our cars around in circles. This is a thoroughfare. And so I would plead with you, let's go in that direction. The fact that Jesus is coming to restore all things. Our responsibility as we respond to the word of God is the same as the disciples. In the next chapter, he's going to send them out. We, friends, we've been sent out. We are called to be part of this kingdom where we serve Christ our king, where we give faithfully of our time and of our conversations and of our finances. So I'd ask you, how are you doing at the word taking root in your heart? Is there someone in your life that you should be inviting here on a Sunday? Is there a way that you should be serving? Is there a way that you should be giving? Is there some sort of sin that you need to repent of because it's hurting us as a body? How are you doing? Because your biography is being written. And not just yours individually, but ours as a family. He says here, my brothers and my sisters, those are my family, those who hear my words and do them. We're a family here, which means we're messed up, which means we get to have fun, which means it's hard work. When you go to a restaurant and you want to order, if you want some dessert, what do you do? You order it. You say, hey, come here, let me, let me get this. Can you bring this to me? And if you go into the restroom and it's dirty, what do you do? Do you start cleaning it up for them? I hope not. <laughs> what you do is you're like, hey, excuse me, uh, manager, the restroom is really dirty. Or you just don't go back there. If you see something wrong, you're just like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if, I, if we should come back here, kids. This is really messed up. That's not us. We don't come here to be critical. We come here as a family. And in a family, in your home, we all take responsibility. This is a community that is meant to bring life. This is a community where you're going to find rest, where you're going to find peace, where we're going to work really hard, when we're looking back at Jesus who came the first time, and we're looking forward to him coming again. This is a family where we're real, where we repent of sin. But I would invite you to come along with us. That's what family looks like. That is our biography together. Secondly, and we saw this when uh, Jesus stopped the storm, but here's what I want us to take away, is that when Jesus is present... Terror gives way to peace. One of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which one so you don't harass them, they, it came to me last night as I was looking and I was writing this sentence on my computer screen. They said, they said Dad, I'm scared of the dark. I said, why? And he said, uh, because of ghosts and because somebody could break in and they could have a gun. And I said, okay. I said, do you know that's going to happen? He said, well, no, I guess not. I said, well, then what you need to do is fight what you don't know with what you do know. I said, what do you know about God? He said, well, I know that God is powerful. I know that God is in control. And some of these had to prompt with him. Again, I'm not getting a parenting award this year. So I said, take those things and go and rest in those things. And even in the midst of your terror, even if those things come true, is God still in control of that? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, I guess he is. Whatever is terrorizing your life, whatever is plaguing you this morning, I don't know if it's a kid that is sick. I don't know if it's a, a parent or a grandparent that's in the hospital. I don't know if you have a financial situation in your life. I don't know if there's, 
if there is demonic activity in your life. I don't know if mentally if you are depressed or if you're feeling anxiety. I don't know if there's sin in your life. And you're just like, I can't share this with anybody. And it's terrorizing you. Whatever that is, bring it before Jesus because in his presence, there is peace. And that's the way that we are meant to live. What we saw in this next section when Jesus heals this demon-possessed man is that in his sacrifice, Jesus calms our fears and he sets the captive free. The, the demons had a right to be terrified by Jesus, but Jesus Christ took on flesh, not so that we could be terrified, but so that we could be saved. So when we look at Jesus, we don't have to respond like, man, who is this guy? We have the rest of the story right here. Now, when Christ comes again, for those who are not in him, it is going to be terrifying. But if you are in Christ, there is peace, there is calm, and you can find freedom. If you look at that next section of verses, we see that Jesus is a savior that you can trust in your desperation. This man, Jairus, he was desperate because everything was bleak, everything was dark, everything seemed hopeless. And you may not feel that way about your life right now. You may not be thinking, you're not thinking, Michael, man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm in this dark place. Maybe that's not you. Maybe things are going well. But can I remind you of this? Is that we are all desperately trying to find our identity and purpose and meaning in this life. We are all desperate for that. And some of us are happy with that. And some of us, the soil of our heart is rocky and thorny, and you don't even realize it. Maybe for some of us, the soil is actually hard and the and the enemy has snatched that away, and there is nothing growing in your life. And I would plead with you to be desperate to find your identity in Jesus Christ and him alone. Be desperate for him. So often we devote ourselves to good things, and we don't devote ourselves to the best thing, and that's finding our identity in Jesus Christ. If you devote a little bit of yourself to Christ, you will end up being a little Christian. And for many in this room, I, I imagine from conversations, from statistics, from my own experience, from talking to you, from other pastors talking to you, there are many whose souls are just dry, whose hearts are longing for something more. Jesus fills that desperation. He is the one who satisfies. We see here in this story of Jairus' daughter who was brought back to life that Jesus is the hope to which you can cling even in death. Even in death. We, we've seen in this passage that faith in Christ makes the sin-sick sinner well. He raises the person who is dead in sin to newness to life in him. And the good news for us this morning is that we just have to look at the word and say, man, that's fantastic. Next time my daughter is sick, I'm going to be reminded of this passage. No, the good news for us this morning is that Jesus Christ has lived. Remember on that redemptive history spectrum, we said God made all things perfect. Everything was made well. That's how he created it, but sin has messed that up. And so for us who have find our, how found ourselves in the midst of sin, that's our nature. We know that Jesus Christ is identified with us. He lived the life that we were designed to live. And he died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. But he didn't stay dead in the ground. 
he rose three days later through the power of the Spirit, offering us hope, both in this life and in the life to come. And for so many of us, we'll look at Christ and say, we, we trust you with our eternity. And I'm begging with you this morning, trust him for your present. He is the one in whom you can find life and hope and satisfaction, not what's on your phone, not in spending more money, not in climbing the corporate ladder, not in creating comfort and ease for yourself, not in being an expert in something the world says, wow, that is fantastic, not in having more friends, not in having more stuff, but in Jesus Christ alone. That's where our hope lies, is in him. Pursue him. The culture is becoming more and more clear that they have this asphalt of a heart. There's a, there's a hardening that's happening in the culture. And I would plead with us who have a heart of good soil, may we be faithful to continue to take that seed of God's word. The, the passage never says, hey, the, the sower is, is God. We know that the, the seed goes out. God's word goes out through Jesus Christ. Through God the Father, we have this. But then it has continued to being spread. And that's through his people. He says, take this. He commissions us and he says, go. May we be a people who are faithful, looking to have a hundredfold what we have here even this morning. You're like, man, I, this is about numbers. You want us to go each save a hundred people. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is may we faithfully be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be finding those who the soil is good. And we're telling them about what Jesus Christ has done. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was faithful even to the point of death. And may we be faithful even here in our lives.